Welcome to the Educated Hustle Podcast. These are your hosts, Paul Latsbitter Jr. and Emilio Porter. Please rate and review our show. It's simple. If you're listening to the show, just click on the rate or review button. Write a few good words about the two hosts you love and adore. And boom, it's simple. We got a review from you guys. And we need it because iTunes is the mecca of podcasts. So please, please, please rate and review us if you haven't already. And now, let's start the show. Emilio, what's going on, man? It's going good, man. It's going good. I, I like how you're using the mecca of, of podcasts. That's what it is, man. And, you know, Cole said it best. Definitely go out there and rate and review us. But I'm excited today. I'm excited today because we have someone here who's going to, you know, she talks about a lot of things, but she's a really big, 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 big player in Michigan's political scene. And, you know, we're not going to steal her thunder just yet, but letting y'all know who she is and what she does. But, you know, we, we actually get someone on here who, who's had experience lobbying, has been in a room with millionaires, billionaires, and she's going to tell us some tales. But I think that listeners are in for a treat. I mean, they're in for a treat every week. But this week, oh, my Lord, call it a call it a, a after Christmas miracle. Because they got themselves a treat right here. Yeah, man. Our guest today is Miss Lauren Belor. She refers to herself as the political powerhouse. I mean, we you can go on our website, man, LaurenBelor.com, and you can find so many things to ask her about. And it was hard for me and my co-hosts to really to really dwindle it down and focus mm-hmm. on an area that we wanted to focus on the show because. She she was out here talking about conglomerates and um, all the political terms that she gets into, making a great reference to House of Cards on how you can understand uh, what she does for a living. So it was a uh, it was an amazing interview to say the least. Yeah, and I'm I'm, I'm a reach here, but I'm gonna go with it because it's that it's that type of spirit. But I felt like she was if you if you're any familiar with the game Mortal Kombat, there's a guy in there called Goro with eight hands, and she had like eight <laughs> hands and all these different things. Like you say politician, that's not just it. You say entrepreneur, that's just not it. You you, you say you, I mean, like I said, hands and everything, and it's it's crazy because. She is so young and accomplished and has done so many great things. And her message she's spreading is so great. And, I mean, she was just like the the, 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 the – she's Michigan's Goro. She has – she could do it all. She's doing it all. And I'm, I'm, I was really just blown away and excited to hear what she brought to the table. And just so modest, so humble, so down to earth. Just, I mean, honestly, great, 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 great all around. Yeah, man. And uh... – you know, she's got her hands full. It's going to be a busy 2017, mm-hmm. to say the least. <laughs> so that's crazy. But her story kind of reminded me a little bit about, um, like, LeBron James. Um, he, you know, when he came into the NBA, he had all these uh, agencies and all these people that were trying to get a piece of his money uh, when he first started out. But kind of, like, midway through his career, um, he realized that, you know, all these people weren't making LeBron James who he was. It was LeBron James' greatness. And he felt that he had the need to uh, put on his friends that, you know, who were there from the beginning to inspire them and get them into successful places. So what he did is he made, you know, two of his his uh, his, his friends, uh, Maverick Carter and Rich Paul, uh, one of them is like his business development uh guy who seeks all, all the partnerships that LeBron James is into, all his business ventures, uh, and Rich Paul's his agent who negotiates all the deals for him. 
uh, you know, all his um, endorsements, his NBA contract. Uh, and these dudes had no experience uh, when they started. But LeBron James was like, yo, I can make you guys into the people they are today uh, by just believing in them, getting them the proper training. And uh, it really paid off for them, man. And it's really exciting to see uh, young entre- entrepreneurs like uh, Lauren who are who is also doing the same thing with the, with her company, uh, putting on other venture capitalists, putting on other businesses and brands under her umbrella. Um, I just think it's a really dope concept that we need to get more people thinking on. Mm-hmm. The ultimate internship right there. Um, I, I, I got to give props because I know as a Heat fan, it's got to sting a little bit to give LeBron such praise. But I mean, yeah, <laughs> he, he, he he's able to do such those things where he, he brought people up he grew up with and rather than give the money to people that he doesn't know, he, he invested it to the people he does know. And that's just one of those things that we wish that, you know, more people could do. And, you know, educate us. We're trying our best to do that. We, you know, with all of our guests, we definitely try and help it help all of them out they need ever need anything from us after the episodes air we're always there just to give support and show how i have a little network a little hustle network going on so you know i can see i can see how lebron has decided that's the route to go because i think honestly it always feels good to know that you were you had a big hand in someone's success and i'm sure he sees that every time he looks at his best friends when he sees what they're doing and how he bought them up and you know lauren was a loud advocate because that's what she believes and she believes that we all have to unite together become one and help each other out with opportunities because that's how in the end we're going to get to some sort of substantial you know reach i mean entertainment wise people of color were great but there's more, more, so much more stuff than entertainment. And, you know, she talks about it, but, you know, entertainment, that's cool. But the real money, the, the real money is 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 in how you control some states and things like that naturally. So, I mean, I'm not going to spoil it to you because, like I said, she has a gospel. But she definitely has some interesting things to say that you probably weren't thinking about beforehand. Yeah, most definitely. And um, I'm just excited for the interview, bro, man. Let's uh, Let's get the people to it, man. Miss Lauren B. Lore, giving you that political knowledge. All right, and today we have Miss Lauren B. Lore, the political powerhouse. Lauren, how you doing today? I'm good. How are you guys? We're great. We're great. We just wanted to get the interview started. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm from Michigan. Um, I am a graduate of Michigan State University. Go green. Always have to rep where I'm from. <laughs> Shout out. And um, so basically a little bit about my background. Um, before I thought I was going to go into politics, I actually thought I would have a career in the legal realm um, with intellectual property. But my heart, you know, got tapped into by the political realm, um, starting out as a fellow for Michigan Suburbs Alliance, working with millennials to help get them on boards and commission seats, which is actually ironic because I ended up becoming a commissioner and on their board. So it's just kind of full circle how that came about. Yeah, that's And cool. um, currently I actually work in the lobbying realm, um, which is where all the real decisions are made and the real money is made. No, joking. But um, (laughs) (laughs) don't quote me on that. No, I'm totally joking. You should know that actually more 
African-Americans should be in lobbying. But um, I work for Michigan League of Conservation Voters, which is an environmental political lobbying organization. And what I do is basically the fundraising aspect of that realm um, for the organization and also helping to maintain and build strategic partnerships uh, for our brand. So that's a little bit about my political background. And then I'm also the co-founder of YAB, which is a venture conglomerate that houses startups and businesses owned by women of color. So that's that's a brief gist of what, what I have going on. Just a brief. I mean, I think your bio could fill an encyclopedia. Like you have your hands in <laughs> so many jars, but you're right. That was a good little brief. Um, I kind of want to take it back to uh, b- before all all the fame, you were set out on a path, <laughs> a, a a path of law, but you realized it wasn't for you. And you know, here at Educate Hustle, we advocate people taking those risks, taking those leap of faith. Mm-hmm. So could you describe how you had the courage to leave law behind despite being so vested in it already? So uh, what happened was, <laughs> um, at the time when I was just coming off of graduating from college, you know, I was taking the LSAT. It was extremely stressful. And Honestly, I am not a standardized test taker. I think it is extremely biased uh, by any means for any type of uh, test. But um, I did take that and it was really stressful. And I just kind of was like, is this really for me? Like, is something for me really that difficult? If it's that much of a struggle or doesn't feel very tangible, then why am I necessarily taking this route? And then I started to do research and saw that you know, the policy room was something that was not tapped into. So I said, hmm, okay, well, I'm just going to look further into it. And I started to look into top um, masters in public policy programs and realized that there were not many people of color in that. So I said, okay, well, I could take this oversaturated route where many people of color, um, which is no knock to that, by the way, but many, it's statistically, you know, Black people are told growing up, You know, every young black child is basically told, you know, be a doctor, a lawyer, teacher, engineer, or nursing, or or also communications. And granted, it's not a knock to those fields because I think we need to be present in every industry, but I also think that we need to tap into industries where we're not very prevalent because... I think that's where a lot of leverage could take place. And so that's kind of why I ended up choosing that route. I said, okay, well, I'll get my master's in public policy and I'll just kind of take it from there. And, you know, I also realized it was more so figuring out what I wanted to do long term. And if this law degree was a necessity or was it just something that was going to be on my resume? So there were a lot of intricate thoughts that went through my head when it came to making the final decision. But I think for me, I like to be in like the 1%. That's just kind of my personality and and how I choose to be goal oriented. So I want to do things that it seems rare that we do or that I'm the only one in the room. And I think that helped to fuel the desire to want to take the route I did. And that's, that's dope because my grandma is still trying to get me to be a doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Couple years too late, right? (laughs) 
I see every time I see her, like, you know, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) but that's good. That's good that you're able to venture out into something that uh, is untapped. And that's really cool. I also wanted to, um, you brought up lobbying earlier and you said how, you know, more African-Americans should be involved in it. Um, Could you just explain to, you know, our listeners kind of the process of lobbying and, and what really goes on behind closed doors on how decisions get made? Well, that's a perfect question, actually, because our lobbying organization, after working for four years on this legislation, even prior to me working there, um, our government affairs team has been trying to get this clean energy bill passed, and it finally passed. So we're super excited. The bill got signed today. Awesome. Uh, so I thought I would shout out my job because they're super awesome, and that's a great leverage way for 2017, especially with... Um, the the president-elect, I'm not going to go into name recognition, but the president-elect um, we know discussing who he is. wanting to dismantle the EPA, um, it just shows that there are state stakeholders on the state level who are protecting uh, the environment. So that being said, <laughs> leading into um, what exactly goes in day-to-day lobbying. So you have different types of lobbying. You have lobbying firms or organizations that have one particular topic that they might be working on. So for instance, that's us doing environmental lobbying. There are also educational lobbying organizations or firms. And then you have multi-client lobbying firms. So I'm going to give a great example that I think a lot of the listeners can relate to. So House of Cards, okay, which I'm sure many people have watched. All right. So Claire where she worked, where she worked for an environmental lobbying organization, that would be what I do. <laughs> so oh. I think Claire's a great example um and for that and she just did it on the federal level. And so we do have a League of Conservation Voters in DC, that's our national base and then they have different states. So it would just be me doing on the state level instead of working in the DC office, but we're all connected to one organization and that's exactly what she does. Now a multi-client lobbying firm that would be what Remy does, where he ended up going to a multi-client firm, and he still works with the electives, but he has many different clients. So his client could be Walmart, BP, and you're lobbying on behalf of several different clients. So what the day-to-day ends are is usually you go in the three times a week that the electeds are in session, whether it's state level or federal level. It's usually Tuesday through Thursday, at least for state level. Um, and, and same for federal level, because they usually, most people go to their districts on the weekends, which would be Monday, Friday, and then district events are Saturdays and Sundays. And so what you do is typically a lot of times this is where businesses come into play and they'll want to approach you. And we have a board as well, and they'll want to approach you about different issues that they think are important. So let's say if we have energy, then you'll probably be dealing with DTE energy um, or consumers. And you'd also be dealing with the energy um, committees for elected officials. So there's just, there's different entities that play. And basically you're working on how to get both to agree on an issue based on what you're presenting. So for us, it was a 15% um, renewable energy mandate. So that being said, 
you're basically trying to find something that both parties can work across the aisles to agree on so we can pass the legislation because it's based on votes and the votes have to be in majority favor. So I hope that was a good breakdown (laughs) for anyone listening. But basically, it's about getting people to back an issue and you're the leading force on that issue. I like it. I like it. I like it. I like it. I, I kind of, I mean, this is like a, 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 a different question, I guess, but you use House of Cards as an example of what uh, goes on in your day-to-day living. So even though that's a show, I'm sure as you're a fan of it, could you say that there's definitely like uh, some parallelness in what goes on there and what goes on in reality? Or is it, or do they just basically over-elaborate to an extent to where it's not really as realistic as it should be? I'm going to tell you, if you take House of Cards and you take Scandal, and I watch both, House of Cards is extremely realistic. Like, I, I literally, that's the first time I watched something, I was like, wow, I feel like this is like my life. And probably <laughs> because previously I was on campaigns, so when you're looking at them on the campaign trail, especially if you have someone on campaigns that also happens to be an elected, so they're currently in office, and they're either trying to run for a higher office or trying to get reelected. That's exactly, it's very, it's a lot of similarities of how it takes place, especially on the federal level. Um, And also I respect the fact that they utilize the correct terminology. So, you know, they utilize uh, senator-elect and president-elect. And I, I just find that to be refreshing that they're using the correct terminology. It was one episode that was really interesting when they were trying to like battle the MEA and I was like this is just so interesting because they're actually using real life situations that take place in politics so I just I found that very interesting down in Brazil was on the episode so it they made it as realistic as possible and I, I will definitely give them kudos I don't know who they talk to behind the scenes to get that information but I would definitely say that's more about politics whereas if you take scandal it's it's more it is more about entertainment um which i like both so i'm not knocking either but yeah i would definitely say hoc holds it down so i'm gonna have to watch it again to to go through and (laughs) and really get the details because yeah my mind is blown a little bit because i'm i I just i'm just here for the entertainment but i gotta go back and look at the details to see what they put in there that you might say is true and what's not true so that's pretty cool yeah. there you go you gave the audience some homework gave the audience <laughs> some homework yeah let me know we'll have a debrief like a scandal nights a debrief after an episode <laughs> <laughs> no, but also i i kind of wanted to get into you know as a young woman of color you know i know it could be do you find it a, like a struggle to have your voice heard in the political realm being that it's so oversaturated, like you said earlier? So that's an interesting question. And the reason I'm going to say that is because I think typically with most women of color, I think it would be difficult to have their voices heard because they're not necessarily in positions of influence. So for instance, in Michigan, when it comes to multi-client firms, there's currently, or was currently because she just went on to another position, only one African-American woman at that firm in the entire state. 
Um, as far as in, in the environmental lobbying realm, there is another black woman on my team. She works on the the in the field um, aspect, which when we say in the field, that means it's more political outreach, uh, engaging with the voting demographic uh, door to door. So it's it's more of organizing. Uh, but as far as in fundraising, um, I'm currently the youngest and the only one in the environmental lobbying realm in fundraising. So as far as having my voice heard, I'm actually, I'm blessed to not be stifled. Um, but I also think I come across as a person who you don't want to try to stifle. So <laughs> it depends on the personality. Um, I just, I do think that, again, I kind of had to talk my way up to building the relationships that I had so that I could skip a lot of steps. Um, but typically for, and I think most women of color who are in those type of positions, if you're looking at um, Simone Sanders, who went from working on campaigns to being Bernie Sanders lead communications director, and now she has a spot on CNN. So if you look at, and she's only 26, I mean, if you're looking at different women like that, um, that have leveraged their way up, it was probably because they knew how to network and build a brand for themselves at an early age. And they took one opportunity and they ran with it. I would say that's what I did. I took one opportunity as a fellow and ran with it and was not looking backwards. Whereas I think most women of color are put into roles where in politics, they might be, they're either told to be an elected official. So they're told to run for office or they're told to be a staffer. So, you know, someone's scheduler um, or someone's office assistant, rarely the policy advisor. There are a few, but there are many. So again, it's, it's black women are present, but what roles are you getting? That, that's the thing. And so I, I find it very important because again, I'm not knocking anyone's role or career path or, goals in life. Please believe, do what makes you happy. At the same time, I think it's very important that we change the statistics and the percentage game that is played in politics, because when it comes to real decision-making, honestly, unless you are the elected and you're the elected that's in the majority, not the minority in your legislature, or you are in a role where you're a political director, executive director of an organization or a lobbyist, you really don't have any say-so. You just go to work every day. Like, you don't have any say-so in the actual political game of getting things done. So I, I think as far as on the state or federal level, on the local level, there's a lot you could do um, as uh, on boards and commissions or as a precinct delegate. But as far as where your every people's everyday livelihoods are affected by legislation, which is typically state laws. No, it really comes down to policy advisors, lobbyists, electeds in the majority, and executive directors or political directors. And there just aren't that many in those roles. So. Good stuff. I like how you broke it down. You went play by play, and I think you definitely gave our listeners a new outlook on what to expect. But, I mean, I said it earlier, 
an encyclopedia worth of achievements. <laughs> one of the things you, one of the words you said earlier, you know, you kept bringing so up funny. youngest, 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 and you know, I think that leads to my <laughs> next one. Um, how does it feel being the youngest to be sworn into the city of Southfield's Michigan Total Living Commission? Um, <laughs> you know what? And I'm so chill about things, honestly, because I just feel like that's what I'm supposed to be doing. So, um, <laughs> as far, I mean, when I was sworn, I was sworn in February, 2015. So I actually be going on two years, uh, this year. And I was recommended by, um, a state, a current state representative. He was on city council at the time and he was leaving, local government. And so he's like, you know, you should do the commission. I'm like, okay, I'll look into, it. I mean, I had never considered it. And I think that's, that's really the important thing here is that it really is not so much about how it felt to be the youngest. I think it was how it felt to have somebody place that opportunity in my hands. I think that's more so what it means to me. Um, and the importance of it, because opportunity is everything. Opportunity is about leverage. Opportunity is about upward mobility. And opportunity is about catapulting yourself in the directions that you want to go in. It's kind of like the bow and arrow effect. You know, you can have a bow and arrow, but if there's no one there to pull that bow back and push it into the direction, then it means nothing. And so I think to have the opportunity placed in my hands and then again, to take it and run with it and push for our ambassador program and, and actually get, you know, things done that had never been done under the commission. I think that's more so what meant the most to me. I would hope that someone younger even comes in. We do have an intern now. I'm super excited about that. He's a freshman in high school. So, um, our, you know, we're, we love having him at our commission meetings and I think he's very intelligent and I think that's a great exposure, but that's something that was new. We never had an intern. So I just think that my goal was to get boards and commission seats to be younger and younger. So we, we need more millennials in those seats. Now we have two millennials and we have some mid-level professionals. And I, I think it's, it makes our meetings more vocal and more dynamic. And that coupled with the seniors who have a lot of historic knowledge and voice. um, And we just have some excellent seniors on our commission, but those, those migrating ideals intertwining, I think is what, what makes it work. And I, I think it's just, again, more about the opportunity being placed in my hands, meaning the most to me. So don't don't lie. You be making the intern get you coffee and and run no. errands, right? <laughs> well, no, only because it's it's more like it's more about civic engagement. So he has to get no one coffee because it's after work hours. So we <laughs> we meet in the evenings. Um, but he brings some great ideas, and I I think um, it would be interesting to see where that goes as far as having more. I mean, it just, it's really important for, I just, I think about when I was in high school and granted, I was heavily involved, but I never thought about literally, I mean, besides being involved with NAACP and going to those meetings, I didn't think about the government aspect of civic engagement. It was more about the community aspect. And I think that's another thing that us as people of color put a lot of emphasis on. I think we put a lot of emphasis on community involvement, 
volunteerism, you know, whether that's even with NAACP or anything of that nature, it's volunteerism with organizations. But I don't think we put as much emphasis on civic engagement, government, boards, commissions. Are we having, you know, youth councils that, you know, see how city council meetings function? Are we having, you know, youth councils where we see them helping to get local ordinances passed? Like, I mean, why is that starting at 21 and up when when people are finally finding out what their city does and who to vote for rather than having them know, have that knowledge base at 14, 15, when they're already learning about social studies anyway. I'm just saying they shouldn't do that 18 and up. Well, really not even 18 because you're in college and you're in a bubble and no one's doing anything productive probably, but (laughs) 22 and up, you know, why is that? You know, it's like become a productive member of society and finally learn about how the world works. No, that shouldn't be happening at 22. The brain is way too developed to be learning that at 22. So I think that has to start at younger ages, and I think there's, it's really important. No, I agree. And I, I think um, the main thing is just, like, what you're doing is great, and you're, you're the one who sought out and researched all this stuff that isn't necessarily in front of us. And, you know, you definitely invited me and. Um, on what you do. And I think there's a lot of people that want to do what you do. It's just, we don't know about it. So I think, you know, your, your uh, biggest opportunity to, is to enlighten other younger people about um, the potential opportunities out there. It's not just, you know, president and Senator there's, there's, there's ways to get up. So I think that's, that's amazing what you're doing at such a young age. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I mean, that's, honestly, I mean, that's all I really want. If someone, you know, is listening and they leave with the conversation of doing research more on lobbying and they go apply for something tomorrow, then I feel like mission accomplished. You know, there's a lot of room for all of us to have opportunities. And there there really is, I guess for me, especially being in the fundraising realm of politics, um, specifically within lobbying, when most of the people you engage with on a regular basis, you know, make well beyond six figures. I mean, millionaires, billionaires. I mean, on our national board, Larry Rockefeller, the actual Rockefeller is on our board. And I mean, it's just insane. Like the people that you engage with on a regular, you're like not six degrees of separation. You're literally zero degrees of separation because you're talking to them all the time. It's, I feel like that has to become a regular, normal, nuanced commonality for other people of color. Like, we're really separated a lot from the 1%. I don't think we realize it that much because now we have upper mobility in the entertainment industry and we're seeing our faces prevalent regularly through television and other media outlets through social media but if you look at real money and how that works and how the world goes round we're not included in those conversations we need to be in those conversations and i think that's that's that is the educated hustle it's being able to use your your talent and your knowledge base to hustle your way into being having a seat at the table and not just you know knocking outside the door of the room where they are, everyone else is at the table. So I think that's kind of why my mindset goes into the framework of 
getting outside the the stereotypical realm of what people think we should be doing. Message. <laughs> That's all I'm gonna say to that one. You know, her words, not ours. But I mean, I, I like that you, you you talked about how you want us to uh, no longer knock at a door, but instead have our own seat at the table. So let's kind of dive into how you help people get their own seat at the table. You have a, another small company you are, you're a co-founder of called Young, Ambitious, Beautiful, where you help women of color with their startups. Could you kind of tell us exactly what what brought that company around? And if you could share some success stories that you've had with the company so far. Sure, no problem. So it was started by myself and two other lovely young women um, who also attended Michigan State, go green again, um, <laughs> where um, we started, we are now going on five years. January 3rd will be our five-year anniversary. I can't believe it's been that long, um, but it started in 2012. And what happened was, you know, we had worked together in different facets while on campus. And, you know, I, I was sitting in, if anyone is from the Detroit area, you know, we have Lafayette, Coney Island, and American Coney Island. You never go to American, okay? So I was at Lafayette, <laughs> Coney Island, and I was sitting there, you know, with my friend, having some chili dogs. And I was like, you know, I don't feel like women of color are represented enough. I feel like a lot of millennial women our age, and at the time I was like 22, you know, are doing dope things. And I feel like it's not being highlighted on high enough platforms, um, so by high enough platforms, I mean, not only within our community, but outside of our community as well. And so I was like, you know, I feel like a lot of people are starting things and I just, I would really like to do something where we're highlighting that. And so I reached out to my now co-founder, um, Brittany, and, you know, she was like, well, you know, at the time we had a mentoring program called uh, she had a mentoring program called YAB and they, you know, had done some small things with some young girls. And so we we're like, you know, we, that should be the name. Like that's what, what we want to highlight with women of color is what the name should be synonymous with. So we are like young, ambitious and beautiful. And that's how the name came about. And so um, there's three of us and there's three words and each one is a reflection of that. And so that is how we got started um, and that was the reasoning for wanting to get started. And so what we did was at the time, social media is not that heavy. Um, I don't even think Instagram was being used. It was just kind of like Facebook and Twitter. And then we decided, okay, let's highlight different women regularly on social media to the point where, you know, it went from having like just our followers from Michigan State to now having followers you know, nationwide, you know, 4,000 followers on Instagram and or so, however many. And, you know, having a following on Twitter and on Facebook. And it grew from having a few venture partners, like four or five, which our venture partners are the women who own the different startups. So it's kind of housed as like you would house Johnson & Johnson, right? Johnson & Johnson has a conglomerate, and under Johnson & Johnson, you have the different companies that follow suit. So it's the same thing as how we would do, or even, um, even if you looked at, like, 
I would say like L'Oreal um, as a beauty product. And then under L'Oreal, is Carol's daughter has an entity. You just have a number of companies that follow underneath. That's kind of how a conglomerate works. And that's how we wanted to house it, where under our umbrella, you will be affiliated with YAB, but you still have your own thing going for yourself. And so that's how we, you know, came about having businesses under our umbrella. And currently our venture partners live in Michigan, Illinois, DC, Texas, New York, New Jersey, Atlanta. Now we have a member and, and our general members don't own businesses, but they are in our network. And she's the one that is in Orlando. And I believe that's it. And I hope I didn't leave anyone out. I always say that every interview um, because I never want to leave anyone out. But they're all very dynamic women. And we have grown to having different entities. So we have a business development entity, which is my entity, uh, personal development, which is my co-founder, Brittany, and community engagement and mentorship, which is my co-founder, Courtney, and each entity works on their own different series and projects. And so Courtney has created a partnership with Chicago Public School System where they give us a school and we come in and teach about business development and setting a career early to elementary school students or young girls and also high school young age girls. And my entity is working with businesses, whether that's resource funders or co-working spaces, um, so that we can kind of build a pipeline so that people won't say that there's gentrification taking place in many of these cities. And you're seeing that there are a lot of opportunities for Black-owned businesses by women to thrive in major cities. So, again, I think I gave a synopsis. I hope so. (laughs) More than a synopsis, that was uh, that was amazing. I mean, where do you guys, I know you guys built it five years ago, but where do you guys see it going, you know, in, in another five years, maybe 10 years? You know, we always get asked that. And, um, you know, each goal that we set out to do, we've done. Um, and so I think eventually, I know we all three of us have said we want YAB to be able to run in other states where we're not present. So having more YAB ambassadors, because we are all about to be remote, where each of us will be in a different state, Um, we're making it work very well. But um, it would be great if we could have more ambassadors in other states, um, where even without our presence, they can take on an event series for YAB and we can kind of work with them remotely. And then I know we also talked about wanting to have a stronger international base. So working with the women of color in South Africa and in London, are the business realm over there is like booming, okay? Booming. And I really want people to know that. And they are doing excellent things over there. We've promoted some events for Black women in in London and in South Africa, but to have a, a some venture partners over there and, and really do some international work, I think could really, really be a great coalition building opportunity. Um, and so I know those are some of the things that we've collectively discussed doing and goal is just to make it happen. So, (laughs) 
That's true. That's all you can ask for. Make it happen. I mean, based on everything you said, it seems like you guys are making it happen. And we are excited to kind of see where you'll take the company in the future. Um, one thing I definitely want to give back to is, of course, your home and your baby, the political landscape. So can you <laughs> kind of tell uh, our listeners, uh, what are some things that you hope to accomplish as both an appointed and elected official in local government? So as appointed, the one thing I wanted to accomplish already did so pretty satisfied with that um it really was to start a program under our commission um or help initiate that and that's our Southfield ambassador program where we have members of the community of a various age range age range from millennials to mid-level professionals to seniors um, engaged in the city and, and helping to push what they want to see in the city. And especially a city like Southfield that, um, is quite suburban. (laughs) Um, and you know, it's kind of known for being a city for like elevated, uh, black people. I think we wanted to have more of what the city of Detroit has turned into or, or even, Ferndale or Royal Oak, which are other cities that have have kind of that diverse feel of what cities bring to the table, like a diverse landscape. And that's the eat, play, work landscape. Um, and so that was something that I really, really wanted to get pushed. Um, it took a year to get it approved by city council, but it got approved this past uh, February of this year. And so it was a great one year anniversary <laughs> of being uh, a commissioner. And I, I was super excited about that because I just, I also wanted to push for new faces, you know, that the city hadn't seen as involved or as engaged, but that had the desire to be. And so I, I think that's the same as what I would want to see as a precinct delegate. It's more just about having new faces. There are millions and billions of people in this world and I don't believe in in putting people on a pedestal. So I don't believe in having the same people do everything. Um, I feel like there are tons of people here. And I just, I want to know that one day when I'm not around, that there are other people to carry torches. But you can't really do that if you're constantly relying on the same faces of leadership in your sphere, whatever sphere that may be. Um, so I think that's kind of how with both an appointed position and elected position, they intertwine. It's about having new faces of leadership and really pushing for that. So, And that's an amazing goal to have um, as a city commissioner. So we definitely want to see, you know, how it goes forth um, in the future. And, Probably, you know, one thing that I know you brought up a lot is uh, you, you, you want to work with a lot of millennials and our show is more more so uh, dedicated to, you know, millennials and uh, people of our age. Um, I want, you know, your opinion on what do you think are the most prominent issues for our generation and um, how do you think we can be more involved, be more outspoken to get our issues to the table? So there's a couple of issues I think that are prominent to to our uh, generation, and one would be digital justice. And what I mean by digital justice is, you know, we we live in a very 
we've always lived in a 24-hour news cycle, whether that was being given to you via newspaper, like the the paper boys back in the day, or whether that was being given through radio or television. I mean, we've watched, you know, propaganda building grow in different directions with the media. But I think these days with digital justice is more so examining this idea of social media activism and what that means for us today. And I I think that's a huge issue um, in our community. Um, And also uh, looking at the idea of digital justice where, you know, we, we consume a lot of technology, but everyone doesn't have access. So, I think that's an issue that millennials could take on on how we get access. And, you know, Comcast came to our commission and did a meeting on the idea of digital justice and and how to get more Internet access to low income individuals. And I think that's something interesting that we could take up as an issue and be an advocate for. So there's two sides of digital justice. There's kind of like the more social side of the definition and then there's the actual principle I guess of the definition so both it it can be used interchangeably Um, I think another issue that prominent issue for millennials honestly I think it's economic advancement it's like people don't want to be wake up at 30 and you know still make $50,000 a year. And I think that's important with, with three or four degrees, you know, I think economic advancement, which that might fall under for student loans and loan forgiveness issues. But I I think that's a prominent issue that millennials could speak up on. Um, And then I would have to say the third would be maybe a new wave of communication building. I don't know. I feel like our generation, because we, we kind of had um, social media playing a huge role. I just feel like that's kind of affecting uh, the social relationships of human behavior. I feel like that's, that's a third issue that's, that's prominent that we might, might want to look into because that's probably explaining why a a lot of uh, people are able to hide behind technology and that that plays a role in mental health issues which is kind of coincides with maybe the third of what we should find to be a prominent issue because we're not addressing mental health at all so there's a couple of things that have subtopics but I think those are the three issues that that are really important that millennials could probably take leadership on so Ooh, man, you opened Pandora's box with that one. <laughs> I, that, all great issues. Wow. I mean, we, we could do a whole nother show just just even discussing those three things. But um, I guess one thing I want to ask, though, and I, it's it's got to be hard because, you know, already so young, so accomplished, like I said, an encyclopedia worth of achievements. <laughs> Thank you. What motivates you to add more to your already impressive resume? Oh, I thank you. That that question is just so sweet thank you um, but I would I would say one thing that motivates me for starters is my faith I think faith gives you inspiration and you know I have a, a great 
pastor, um, for those that are faith-based listening, um, who, who kind of keeps it 103, you know, like Jeezy's 103, like keeps it very real. And one thing that is kind of the basis or the principle for, for faith or inspiration, no matter what your religious path is, is that it gives you the desire to want more if you really think about it. Right. So when, when you have faith to want to do things, it, it gives you kind of like spiritual motivation, right. Or an intrinsic motivation. And so I think that is what is one thing that keeps me going. Just knowing that, Faith allows me to know that things are able to be accomplished. I think another thing that keeps me motivated is kind of constantly looking at what I've already, you know, set out to do and and checked off on my list. And if I, I feel like if I could accomplish that, I could just keep going. It's like, why, you know, lull that and be at a standstill? And so I think that keeps me going. I think another thing is is our generation keeps me going both positively and negatively positively where you see other people of color who are young and and being fellow groundbreakers and that motivates you to continue to propel that path but then also too on a negative scope of it not too negative because I try to say positive but um looking at how much was done historically for instance if you've ever seen the movie red tails right Okay, half the people who were Tuskegee Airmen were like also in medical school, also, you know, being torn down by civil rights. You had all of that coming against you and you still were the first to do something. It's incredible. It's it's extremely, extremely inspiring. And people should use past historic eras to to use it as leverage of like how much you could possibly endure and you not even having as many barriers to break down and still you know, wanting to strive for excellence. And I think those are the things that help me. I watch a lot of documentaries, especially historical documentaries. And I use the documentaries. Sometimes I'll take notes and use it as as a guide for things I want to do in my own life. So I think those are kind of the key things that I use regularly to motivate me. And there's a lot of wisdom and gospel in those words. I really hope our (laughs) listeners just took it to heart. I mean, uh, Lauren, you've been a pleasure to have. Before we let you go, though, we, we got to hit you with what we call the two-piece here. Just okay. to end the interview on the right note. So the first question of the two, real easy. How can the okay. listeners reach you? Oh, well, that's very easy. Um, so I have a personal website. It is www.lauren, L-A-U-R-E-N, B-L-O-R-E-N. B is in boy, E-A-L-O-R-E dot com. So just first and last name. Um, same for Facebook, same for LinkedIn. Now my Instagram disclaimer, okay, it comes from a nickname <laughs> from <laughs> high school, college, and my adult life. And everyone calls me Bees. So my Instagram is DJ Bees, and that's DJ B-E-A-Z. We won't go too far into that. I'll just leave it on that note. <laughs> I was just going to say, that, that couldn't have been your title for introduction? <laughs> <laughs> when you asked me, I was like, should I tell him? I don't know. 
it's all good it's all good and then the last one no no pressure at all but we just want to know like what would be your final parting words to our listeners so it's a quote that well, it's really not a quote because it's my words, <laughs> but it's something that I always true choose to live by, and that's never dull your diamonds to let rock shine. Man, I'm just going to break the cast <laughs> today on that one because I feel like we have to let the people know. I mean, wow, it's it's been such a pleasure. You've definitely educated everyone here not only about your hustle but just about politics and lobbying in general so i mean i salute you and i'm just so honored and grateful to have you on the show today oh thank you so much for having me i mean anytime that someone gives you a platform to to share your voice in any capacity is a blessing so i'm super thankful for you guys and super thankful for your podcast i think this is an awesome platform and i can't wait to share your podcast and your message and your voice with other people. That's awesome. And I think, um, I think we interviewed a future president. I think that's what just happened. Right. Right. They, oh, they got pressure. it wrong. You sound like my friend. <laughs> they got it wrong. It's not Michelle Obama whose name we got to be saying. It's Lauren B. Lord. <laughs> DJ, it's DJ B's, right? <laughs> Put that on the campaign trail and let's get it started with it. We'll be there. That has a good brand to it. No, I'm totally joking. <laughs> no, oh, the I'm ones and listen. twos. No, no, we the trying to be on the cabinet. Come gonna... on, we can go. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's been a pleasure. We we thank we're thankful having you. Thank you guys so much. There you have it, folks. Miss Lauren Belor giving us that political powerhouse knowledge. Emilio, what you think, man? I mean, I think that's our second guest we've had who's been experienced in the political realm. And it's just, it's always a different type of show whenever we have political guests on because they, they really break it down to uh, issues and areas that, you know, I, I guess going through society, we're not really too much prevalent thinking on you know we're not i guess woke to the concept <laughs> so it's always cool to hear someone who has experience kind of break it down to an easier level and, and get you interested in get you more you know uh give you more insight on an issue and topics at hand so i i really enjoyed her i really applaud her she's been you know she was phenomenal it, it was really hard to ask her questions because like i said her resume is so stacked and we i uh i just you know Pick your poison. <laughs> Pick your poison. So it's great to have her on. And I, I think that our listeners, you, you guys got a treat there. I mean, that should make you look into more of those lobbying and political careers. And she should definitely make you look into more of those issues that surround your current state. Yeah, man. We need more people like Lauren representing, you know, us in these areas that our voices aren't heard. I think uh, she brought up a powerful point about, you know, lobbying and how she only has one other person that looks like her in her in her industry. So um, there's plenty of opportunities to get involved, and uh, we need more people like Lauren to tell her story so that she then impacts the future generation. So definitely exciting interview. I'm excited to see what she does with her future. Oh, man, exactly, exactly, exactly. But in an area where we do have a voice, let's get to everyone's favorite part of the show how you yes you 
can reach us. Educate Hustle can be reached with a variety of different means on social media. We are on Snapchat at Educate Hustle. That's all one word, Educate Hustle. There we post snaps, little behind the scene videos and stuff to let you know how we're going throughout the week and how to get your hustle on. We are also on Instagram at Educate Hustle Podcast. Once again, that is Educate Hustle Podcast. There we do pretty much promos of the week episode, pictures, quotes, just things that get you inspired and make, make you think about things in a different light. You can also follow and like our page. We put emphasis on like our page on Facebook at Educate Hustle. That's two words, Educate Hustle. You know you've reached the right place because you'll see that logo that you all know and love. And before I continue with more plugging, I got to take a break to do even more plugging. Apple users, please, 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 if you like what you heard and you thought we made a difference, subscribe to the show and leave a review. When you do those two things, you really help us gain awareness. You help us gain even more fanfare and we move up the iTunes charts. And when all the three of those things happen, you end up with a better show and better guests. So please, 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 if you haven't already, subscribe and review. Let the whole world know how you feel about educated hustle all right enough of that back on to the regularly scheduled plugging we are also on twitter at educated underscore hustle once again that is educated underscore hustle there we do tweets daily interactions that's probably like the best way to reach us because it goes right to our phone and we respond to you quick 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 and then of course I'd be remiss not to say it. The last but definitely not least way that you could reach out and contact us. You can email us. Let us know how the show was. Let us know about collaboration opportunities or any emotional feedback you want to give because of what you heard. Please, please, please email us at educatehustlepodcast at gmail.com. Once again, that is educatehustlepodcast at gmail.com. There it is, man. But you know you got to lead us out. So do it right now, bro. Lead us out. Man, happy holidays to all of our listeners. Please, please, please be safe. Let's prep for this new year by being even better than what we were doing before. I mean, these are a very tenacious, I shouldn't say tenacious, but uh, just tumultuous, tumultuous. It's not tumultuous. It's it's going to be a very interesting, <laughs> life changing last two weeks for me. Um, for those that don't know, I do have a, a child on the way, my first child. Uh little ray is on the way soon and these next two week windows are going to be really important so you know i i guess that's going to be my christmas gift uh hoping for a a a safe passage of my future child at least you know it till 2017 i'm hoping she comes to 2017 but you know it's not to me (laughs) but i mean (laughs) i say to say this you know you you never know where you'll be even you know, let alone a, a month from now, a year from now, like things could change and things change happen all the time. And you just have to be ready to op- with open arms to accept what goes on and, and do your best to make the best situation. And that's one of the things I've learned this year the most is that you just have to be ready and you have to be ready to adapt and, and, and pray for the best. And you can survive it because honestly, you know, it, it's, it's cliche, but it's true. You're not given anything that you can't conquer. Everything that has happened to you and been said to you are just obstacles that you can get over it's all about do you want to get over it are you trying to get over it because you know it's easy to say no it's even even harder to say yes and do it so i just say please go out there and make your do your why and keep on pushing yes sir and as always even in a new year 
You got to stay educated and keep hustling.